So the Trave podcast has been around for five years now. Which is deeply unsettling in its own right. And when we started the show, we didn't exactly know what we were doing for a while. So David and I floated a few test balloons. And the most popular of said test balloons was a little episode called The War on Christmas. And so if you've been listening to the show for the past year or two and are curious about this much weirder version of the show that we sometimes reference, uh, we've decided to rebroadcast The War on Christmas for its fifth anniversary. Long live The War on Christmas. good about this yeah this this sounds it sounds good okay uh do you think he'll know or what we want to talk about he definitely is the go-to person for jewish his jewish radical history yeah. in montreal for the last 30 to 50 years at least oh. wow that's a fat squirrel well hold on that? wait where right there oh yeah yeah it's definitely getting ready for the uh the winter oh, smart, months. David. Smart. The oh, hey, Moish. Hello. How are you doing? Uh, I did okay. Uh, are you okay talking with us a little bit for a little bit? I'm okay to talk. Depends what you want to talk about. Okay. Well, can we, can we just like maybe go inside for a second? Go inside for a second? Sure. Okay. We can go inside for two seconds. So if I say the war on Christmas to you, what? what if you say what? If I say the war on Christmas to you, The what? war on Christmas? Do you think you invented the war on Christmas? Let me tell you something. There's been a war on Christmas for the last 2,000 years. We've been in a war on Christmas, and we've been losing. As a matter of fact, you could even say we lost. But when you come down to it, who cares? So the joke is on them. Are there? I any don't even know if they don't care. Some of them do care, like you know the people who are worried about a war on Christmas. But you see, the problem is with those is that the people who are worried about the war on Christmas today are also in the midst of like trying to make alliances with Israel today. So they're trying to play down, like at least publicly, the Jewish aspect. They're like less fixated on the Jews. Well, has there been any history in Montreal about Jewish resistance to Christmas or conflict around Christmas? There's always been, let's say, in Jewish life in North America, conflict and resistance to Christmas. I'll tell you one thing. Here in Montreal, what did we used to call Christmas? Kratzmich. What does Kratzmich mean in Yiddish? It means scratch me. So people would say to each other, Merry, Merry Kratzmich. When you feel oppressed by someone, this is, you know, you don't have like other forms. This is how you react. It's the same way that Hasidim had the habit of playing cards on Nittel, which is Christmas Eve. They played cards instead of studying, figuring it's a bad luck day. People who had those Yiddish groups with me will remember that we, I um, introduced a poem, Nittel, Christmas, which was written for Jews in Poland, but it talked about the absolute fear that the Jews used to feel on Christmas Eve because it could lead to violence. There'd be these processions in the street in Eastern Europe, and Catholic Eastern Europe, that often many Jews found frightening and feared that it would lead to some kind of pogrom, which used to happen on Easter. You know, when, from their point of view, the Christians might remind themselves that the Jews killed their God. So it led to 
this tremendous fear, but the only way of fighting back, like you can say, Kratzmech, Mary Kratzmech, or whatever, or play cards, or, or make jokes. But it's an enormous conflict in Jewish life about Christmas. I don't understand why people would choose to play cards on a day that is considered unlucky. Christmas in North American culture also represents the possibility of assimilation for a lot of people. So, for example, as we know, Irving Berlin wrote the greatest of all Christmas songs, or the most popular of all, White Christmas. And Irving Berlin was one of these guys. He was, he, he was Jewish, but he early in his career, he made money by writing anti-Semitic songs. There's a whole tradition of anti-Semitic songs for a market that existed at, at, in the 1920s in the United States, usually about Jews trying to swindle. He was somebody who really wanted to get as far as he could from his Jewish background. And it was an outlet to becoming a real American. And a real American meant Christian. And there used to be this formula that was very popular, like in the Reform Temple, for example, because you obviously did not want to say that Christ was a divinity. So people would say Jesus was the greatest man who ever lived. And of course, this was a sign of like people who wanted to be assimilated. Well, with all that, with all those attempts at assimilation going on, were there any people that actually confronted the institution? Of Christmas? It would be like in the kind of stuff that I've described to you now, or making, often making fun of like the, what seemed to us after a while, the enormous materialism of like the Christmas holiday. But how do we say in Yiddish, a far-fetched tale? didn't rise up, didn't fly up. And what is that? I mean, it doesn't take much to figure out what they're talking about there. This is their way of saying that the, you know, the whole story about the resurrection and all this, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and everything that precedes it involving Jesus's death. It's like a likely story, as they say. But so this is, this is the, this is the war on, on Christmas, if you want, in its early stages. But as you can see, it's a defensive war because they had on their side, so to speak, they had states and restrictions and pales of settlement and pogroms and holocausts and you name it. And on the Jew side, they had like saying things like Mary Kratzmich and saying Nishkestoigen and Nishkefloigen and playing cards. So it wasn't exactly like an even fight. Listen, I feel like that was a lot of information, but I'm still having a hard time having it feel like a tangible thing to me. I still feel like I don't really understand what Montreal Christmas is to be able to talk about ways of resisting it. David, I think I have an idea for you. What's, what's the idea? It involves a parade of tremendous magnitude. Uh, I kind of don't want to go, but I think we kind of have to go. Santa Claus, the real Santa Claus, is going to be here at the 11th annual parade. Apparently, Santa Claus is here with the chef, uh, the leader of his um, elves. They're coming. So they're all going to be here. We are in the right place. No, no, no. Just, just the leader of his elves, not all the elves. Okay. He's just coming with his like major lieutenant. And why are we at the Plaza Saint Hubert Christmas parade, Sam, and not the big one downtown? I believe that you were tasked with determining 
when we could attend the general Montreal Christmas Day Parade, which apparently has about 300,000 people. We got all the things we needed to get. We arrived, and uh, it looked like they were set taking everything down. And what turned out happening is... or. Is it we're a day late. You can just say we're a day late. It was. It was that we were a day late because it was Saturday. Not Sorry. Sunday. So we are now at this B-list <laughs> Christmas, not even B, like E-list <laughs> Christmas Day Parade that appears to be not a parade because it's 7 o'clock and there's no parade. But there seems to be people waiting under this awning. Yeah, it's so cold and it's raining very hard. But what we're hoping to get from today is a bit of the understanding of the spectacle of, of, of Montreal Christmas. Yes. So currently the sidewalks are full of parents and their children, all paying very close attention to the spectacle that is yet to present itself in the center of the road. A spectacle perhaps never to appear. Well, right now everybody's wearing, they're all wearing Santa outfits and doing a synchronized dance in the rain. Uh, to this marching band Christmas song that was probably written by some old Jew a hundred years ago. I'm not gonna lie, I'm tapping my foot right now. <laughs> it's pretty good, pretty well done. Yeah. yeah. How would you judge crowd response right now? There's a man in front of us who seems pretty indifferent. <laughs> yeah, this is the pro- like, who- where do they get all these kids from? School. You think it's one school or like a different school? At my school, they would take us out once a year to build sukkahs for people. So that's I don't true. think it's a stretch so they train them to train them to dance in front of people like this. I think that's the Grinch. Where's that Santa Claus? Why is Santa Claus green? And here, and here it comes, the man of the hour. The man that everybody wants to see. The only person in the entire parade who's afforded an umbrella. Santa Claus. He's flanked by a bunch of elves on either side, and he has a fake reindeer in front of him. He looks like he's doing a pretty good job of being Santa, though. Like, he's got the rotund thing, the white beard. I think he's doing a good job. So I have to say, I'm cold, it's raining, the hatred for Christmas is uh, pumping through my veins. Yeah. I'm filled with feelings of coldness and not wanting to be here, yeah. which I think is the general one I have the general feelings I have about Christmas to begin with. Yeah. I think I dislike it more now. All right, Moish, you've talked about this war on Christmas past, but we kind of need to know what the war on Christmas would look like today. Nowadays, nobody cares. I mean... How many of your friends care who killed Jesus, right? You're talking about an era where it was very important to Christians, or to Catholics especially, who killed Christ, and for, to Jews to defend themselves from the charges of being Christ killers. And people suffered pogroms, Holocaust. If you read the... New Testament, it's full, it's full from beginning to end. The Jews are a tiny portion of the population. This is the main book of European culture. And, and it's going on and on about the Jews, the Jews, the Jews. And, and people are fed this kind of stuff, you know. And this is something up until very recently. In 1962, I think, there was a book around that that came out around that time. And it was called The Story of the Century. 
And what was the story of the century? That the Pope absolved the current Jews of guilt for Christ's murder. And this was incredibly important for Jews. People said, look, it's the story of the century. We're not guilty. I can tell you a funny story about that too, come to think of it. If you want to hear it? When I was a little kid, I was always told this. And you see, this is the difference in the culture of like that generation. I was a small kid and my mother always tell me if they come they if the christians accuse you of killing jesus what you should tell them is that the romans did it and i had no idea like what it's all about who are the romans or anything but that's what i heard the romans the romans the romans and i was a little kid living on jean Main street right and there was a little kid that lived up the street from us that who was one of the only Christians on the street. And I remember him because he always wore a white shirt and a bow tie. His mother used to dress him up this way. The bow tie and short pants and a very high-pitched voice. And, and his name was Gary. Around that time, I got a present from my, maybe it was my birthday or so. We didn't really celebrate birthdays, but for whatever reason, I got a present, one of those old rubber tool sets. That I don't know if they still have. And I was sitting on outside in the steps pretending to be building something. And Gary comes along and it's obvious that he's jealous of my tool set. I could see it right away. And with within like seconds, he says to me, like in his high-pitched voice, he says, do you know what the Jews did to Jesus? And I had been coached for that moment practically since birth to say it wasn't the Jews, it was the Romans. And I knew my line perfectly. Like, you know, it's like somebody's rehearsed for a play, like one line that they had in a school play, I knew the line perfectly. I knew I was supposed to say, it wasn't the Jews, it was the Romans. But instead, what I said was, no tool set for Gary. And he ran home crying. <laughs> so that was in a way, that was my war on Christmas. Except I don't do this. it wasn't really Christmas. Maybe it was Christmas. Okay, so I really like the Gary story. But I just feel like we still need to talk to someone who's more grounded in the present war on Christmas. Searching the internet isn't going to do it for you, eh? I just feel like it'd be great if we could talk to someone who's participating in Resistance Christmas now. I think I might know someone. Might be hard to get in touch with them, but I'm going to give it a try. So are you comfortable telling us your name? Um, no. <clears throat> or maybe would you be willing to give us some kind of name to refer to you by? So in the movement, I'm known as Little T. Um, that's as much as I can share with you today. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and so you, you've been involved in actions in resistance to Christmas for some time. Mm-hmm. You probably understand the confidential nature of our work. But basically, it involves the destruction of symbols of capitalist greed. We don't use the word Christmas. We use the word capitalist greed as a code word because ultimately that's that's what this is. That's what we're talking about. I don't want to ask you to give any information that you don't want to give. And I know that you won't do that. But could you give some hypotheticals as to what some targets might look like? 
Well, you might be familiar with one of the well-known Christian rituals involving um, an elderly figure and um, a throne that he is placed on. The Christians bring their children as offerings to speak to this. I suppose they see him as some sort of oracle. We find that this is a, an abhorrent ritual because it's really targeting the, the innocent Christian children and they shouldn't be subjected to this. So we have organized leaflet drops at these shopping centers. They're written in a sort of millennial code so the, the parents don't understand, but it kind of acts as a safeguard to stop the children from becoming totally subsumed by this pow- the power of the oracle. I mean, you're talking about Santa Claus, right? Um, I believe that's what he's known as, yes, but we don't really find that to be an appropriate name. So I'm sorry. So what are the what are the backgrounds of the other people who are involved in this work? And what's the general motivation that everybody shares? Well, like I said, I can't give too much information. I don't want to compromise the integrity of um, my comrades uh, or of our organization. But we, you know, we're all of one we have a common goal, and that's what unites us. We also share the same taste in music and clothing. So can people join? Like, if we are interested in participating in action, can we just join the group? I can't answer that question. Or if I if I was interested in learning more about it, then what we can say here, um, what would be a good first step? Well, you know, if you hate Christmas, you don't need to be part of any organization to show it, right? If the fires of anti-Noel hatred course through your veins, right? You, you just do what you need to do to show the world. And, you know, if that's lighting a Christmas tree on fire downtown in Place Bonaventure, then that's what it is. If it's doing a banner drop at the National Assembly to have Christmas banned as a public holiday, that's what it is. If it's taking action within your family and refusing to attend Christmas celebrations or wrapping all of your Christmas presents with black wrapping paper, you know, there are many, many tactics and strategies that can be used in this movement. And if you start working at it, you might find it easier to find your kindred spirits than you, than you really thought. It's a big incline. I've gotten lost on this before. Okay, so let's go over it again. We're gonna get to the top. And when we get to the top, what, there's going to be a cable that goes straight to it. Yeah, there's a little uh, there's a little door, and you just have to. Um, I don't know. The person kind of gave me a diagram and said, "I'll figure it out once we get there." Okay, but do we have but we have our flashlight, right? Definitely. This is like a one-time situation. Okay. Um, if we find the, we just got to find the cable. We just got to unplug it, and then we just got to get back down the mountain. And then the lights will be off the cross during Christmas. Okay. I think I think we can do it. I think we can do this. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah, it uh, it feels a little spooky in here right now, no? It feels extremely spooky. Yeah. I think we probably, I mean, like, I understand that we have to do this after dark, but it's kind of hard to see anything. Okay, let's do it. Yeah, how long do you, this is a lot of steps. I don't know, David, I think this can't take more than, like, 20 minutes. I just, uh, I don't do as many sports, you know? Yeah, it's true. There's definitely, this is where the, like, comic book sport gap is very uh, clear. Almost there, David, almost there. I'm okay, I'm okay. It's just trying to preserve my strength definitely yeah what's the worst case scenario here uh, honestly i can't imagine anyone's even gonna catch us it's not like we're putting out a radio show or anything <laughs> okay that person's leaving oh you see the cable 
I do, I do. Okay. Oh, okay, I'll try it. Okay, go. Okay, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay, keep going. Let's go, go, go. Let's keep going. Are those people? Are those some people coming? Nah, no, it might be a ghost. No, that's actually somebody. Definitely a ghost. Shit. There's no. I don't hear any sirens though. We're on the top of a mountain. So how do you feel? We did it. Yeah. I didn't think it was actually happening. Yeah. Inspired by the 2006 student strike. We should probably do some thank yous. Most definitely. Off the top, I think we should thank Moshe Wolf Dolman. I think we should thank Lil T. Yeah, also thanks to Claire Hertig, uh, our director of design. And to Kira Page, our social media coordinator. Uh, thanks to everybody at CQT for letting us book out microphones and uh, recording very strange things in the studios here. We also have to say a thank you to Sax Syndrome for the intro music. And as always, follow us on the World Wide Web, Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, Trafe Podcast, T-R-E-Y-F. And uh, send us any emails with comments or suggestions to trafepodcast.gmail.com. And lastly, from everyone here at Trafe Podcast, Merry Kratzmech. <laughs>